are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It is Locked On Jazz for the 10th of January. A remarkable comeback that happens so very rarely. And the Jazz pull it off last night. Donovan Mitchell goes pure Donovan again. We'll break it down. And Joe Ingles with some cutting comments about the booze from Vivint Smart Home. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. Pow! How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers on the Utah Jazz. You can tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked on Jazz. Uh, I also hosted Locked on NBA today. It's the scout. It's really good. It gives a lot of general NBA talk, and I'd strongly suggest grabbing it uh, when you're done with this one. Today's show brought to you by Intercap Lending. All right, let's get to last night. Jazz started miserably. They were down, uh, I think, 28-7, to 41-21. They were missing shots around the basket. They couldn't. They really just were playing without any force. Uh, Orlando was dictating the game, and the Jazz, I, I thought, looked... Uh, completely as though they were allowing that to happen. In fact, the Jazz didn't take a three-point shot until about the three-minute mark of the first quarter. Everything with these little floaters inside the paint. Uh, and they, were, they weren't they were good. Uh, Howell Neto, who's being asked to start his first NBA game since his rookie year, uh, to me looked like a guy who was running the offense exactly as it was supposed to be run. But sometimes that's a little bit of a problem in the sense that you're running, you're just running the, the routes and, and getting the ball where it's supposed to be, but there was no oomph to what was going on. Um, you know, Howell hadn't started a game since his rookie year when he started 53 games, which I think was the most starts by any rookie that year, or at least right up there. Uh, you know, and so I think you just have to look at what was the impact of that. And they had a, a different group out there. That's the old proverbial first game back from the road trip. They were dead. And Orlando was in complete control of the game. The Jazz defense was was off. Every loose ball was going to Orlando. The offense didn't look like it uh, was going at all. And then the scary one to me in the first half was that the Jazz, after being down 28 to 7 kind of got got a little surge going at one point um and you thought all right they're gonna start working their way back into this game I think they got it down to 13 when Ingles hit a three to close out the quarter and you were like all right here we go it's 32 19 start the march back and next thing you know the magic started the second half or the second quarter on a 10 to 2 run and it was 42 21 it was like all right this is just not happening today. And then it was 45-24. They were still down. That was, I think, the last time they were down by 21. And the Jazz started kind of walking it down, walking it down. And then by halftime, uh, to the Jazz credit, they had it down to 63, uh, or 60-46 to 46 with 34 seconds left. And then Augustine gets the three free throws, and you're still down 17 at the half. Ron and I opened the second half kind of saying, all right, 
Let's see how soon we know. Neto came out immediately first play and showed a different aspect of who he was. He went right to the basket, got a layup. Joe hit a three. You could kind of feel things were a little bit different. Um, really, to Neto's credit, like he, he went right to the basket, uh, and the Jazz had it down to 12. Um, and you, But you did, at least at that point, felt like everything had to go right. The Magic pushed it back to 19 at the 8.43 mark of the uh, quarter. And I, I'll admit, I was just like, well, I, and I said on the broadcast, I said we'd know in the first five minutes, well, if I'm right, we're in trouble because we're down 19. You just felt like you'd made the push and it wasn't there. And it looked like you're on the verge of a very disconcerting loss. And then all of a sudden, the defense clamped down. The Magic get one field goal. In the final 8:27 of the third quarter, and the only field goal was with tw- with a 24 second shot clock running out. It actually might be a, it was off an offensive rebound, so it was on the 14 second shot clock running out. DJ, uh, Rudy Gobert switched out to DJ Augustine. Augustine fading away had to throw up a shot over Gobert that he intentionally put off the glass because there was no other way to get it there, and it banked in. That was their only field goal. Of the entire third quarter, final 827. And stunningly, by the time the third quarter was over, the Jazz led and would never trail again. Actually, I think they trailed at 8180 with 954 left, and then Mitchell hit a three right on the backside of it. Incredible. Quinn Snyder was effusive after the game with his praise for his team. Just the to play with that level of intensity for that length. And then you know, then you had to fight. Then it was a three-point game. It was still close late, and Donovan got going. Uh, Donovan had a 16-point four, fourth quarter, I think it was, uh, last night. Or 15-point fourth quarter, 16-point fourth quarter. As the Jazz went on a bunch of different runs inside of there. Uh, they had a 14-4 to four run in the fourth quarter. They had a 12-1 to one run. Uh, Donovan was great, and took over. It's interesting for all the talk of Donovan's struggles and all of this. Um, a few thoughts. One is that is his fifth game this year with 30 points. He only had seven all of last year. Um, we've talked a lot about strength of schedule, um, which, you know, somehow to me, just like in, in the most bizarre, and I'm really actually bitter and pissed about this. I'm not going to lie to you. I just am so beep and tired of this crap. In, in the most bizarre, strange, weird way, uh, fans have decided that the schedule shouldn't have an impact and, and it's an excuse. And like, yet all of you played junior jazz or some fifth grade basketball, and when you played the crap team, you won by 30, and when you played the good team, you lost by 30, but actually schedule an opponent have no impact. Like everything you've done in life, I'm so bitter about this. I apologize for the tone. I'm so beeping tired of this. Like that this has been dismissed by the fan base to me is one of is just it's insane. Let me rephrase that. That this has been dis this is gonna touch into my English comments. Th- this has been dismissed by the vocal minority on Twitter who I need to get out of my life because that's a nasty, evil, awful place that has no positive impact and has impacted my tone, and I apologize for that. I need to be better than that, but it's insane. And like I love this storyline that's going on right now that Donovan 
is suddenly got it back together. Yeah, right. We've Three of our last four opponents aren't very good. Like, only, I, I don't know in what fantasy land who you play doesn't matter. So Donovan now against New York, Cleveland, Detroit, and Orlando in the last four games is shooting 53% from the field. In those four games, he's shooting 53% from the floor. Again, sorry, again, my apology, but it's just so annoying. Um, so that's really was a half-ass apology right there because it means I'm kind of sorry. Like, I know I shouldn't be bothered by it, but I am, and I'm trying not to be totally bothered by it, but I really want to go on like a profanity-laced tirade, and I've it's taken all my power not to just have like Twitter troll battles with people just to humiliate the inst- how stupid a point of view it is that the schedule doesn't matter and it's just an excuse. It's just so dumb. Yes, I'm calling people stupid and dumb, willingly, openly. I mean, it really is. Like, how can you not understand that the quality of your opponent impacts your performance like what is that because i actually think for the playoffs we should just let you play anyone to get to the finals because it shouldn't matter like where people are like never mind sorry my bad but donovan playing cleveland detroit new york and orlando in four of our last six games is now suddenly shooting 53 percent from the field Okay, prior to that run of four games, we had played, Donovan had played in 32 games. Three of them were against not very good teams. Now, all of a sudden, the schedule's evening out. We're not going to travel as much. His legs won't be as tired. And you start to look at Donovan, and I'll guess that his general numbers are going to move right back up toward last year's numbers, and he'll be fine. The same thing with the whole team. We'll be fine. But he was great last night. And I do think it's interesting that, you know, there's lack of explosions on Donovan. I felt the same way. Yeah, fifth game this year with 30 points. It's hard to do. This show has really not gone as I intended at all. Oops. (laughs) Let me take let me let me see if I can reset. We'll get back to some of the things I want to talk to in the on the on the backside. Run through our regular numbers that we regularly do. Um, look at how remarkable that comeback really was last night, and get to get to all that. Uh, I, I think I might have just become a victim of my third segment of today's show. Today's show is brought to you by Intercap Lending. If you are in the market for um, any type of loan refinancing or anything of that nature, intercap lending, I'd strongly suggest them. It's who I've used and now who a lot of Locked On Jazz listeners have used and the reviews coming back about Steve Carter and intercap lending are just fabulous. And the cool thing is that intercap lending has decided to treat Locked On Jazz listeners as though you're a corporation, so they're giving a corporate discount. Let me tell you a little bit about intercap. They have uh, are a 40-year-old uh, lending mortgage company, one of the largest independent in the country. In April of 2016, Josh Romney moved them back to Utah. They're employing over 200 people now. They're hyper-responsive. They embrace change. The borrow experience is fabulous. Uh, the app is great. 
Steve Carter, when he helped me, said, I'm trying to make it as though mortgage is like ordering a pizza and make it as easy and simple as possible through the Intercap Lending app. And I'll tell you what, that's the experience that I had. They close the loan on time. They communicate through the, pre- the process. Steve Carter does amazing work. You can call him at 385-800-8528. That's 385-800-8528. And the really cool thing is there have been fellow locked on jazz people who have used him and found out that experience. Tanner Lacey says, I worked with Steve Carter's by far my best experience with a lender. Steve was always on top of everything, was in constant contact with me and my builder to make sure everything was moving along great, and he was always super helpful. That's where one point in the process, we hit a little bit of a speed bump. Not only did Steve help us get over it, he stayed until 8 p.m. on Friday making sure he had the paperwork and information ready for a third party we were working with. Would definitely recommend Intercap, especially Steve, to anyone in the mortgage process. That is from a Locked On Jazz listener. Steve Carter, 385-885-28. Intercap Lending, NMLS, number 190465. For more information, visit intercaplending.com. That's intercaplending.com. All right, so now let's see if I can stay positive here for a little while. What the Jazz did last night was really remarkable. So going into last night's game, 234 times a team had a 20-point advantage. Only nine times did they lose. There's actually one game this year in which a team was up 20 and lost by 20. I don't know what game that was. But the Jazz are just the 10th team all year in a span of 234 games going into last year, last night, where they won a game they trailed by 20. I mean, that is something else. It actually, interestingly enough, it happened twice last night. I, I maybe, um, I don't know who the other one was, but twice last night, because now it's up to 11. I just reran the numbers. Um, 257 times, now 11 teams have come back. That is really awesome. And that takes a level of focus and competitiveness. And then this is a really simple concept, but like our guys want to win. And they really care if they win. And that's, I think, at least in my opinion, how they won the Detroit game and how they won Orlando last night is that they they really, Cleveland, I think you just win because Cleveland's bad. They really wanted to win. Um, and there's something kind of awesome to that. About that this group has a tremendous desire to win. In the first half last night, the Jazz defensive rating was a 130. They finished the night at a 96.1. 14th best defensive performance of the year. The offense hovered right around their average by the end of the night at a 106.9. One of the things the defense did last night that was incredible was Orlando only took 15 shots at the rim all night and only made six. They took 22% of their shots at the rim, third percentile of all performances, one percentile of shooting percentage. We haven't talked about it as much as I did early in the year, but Jazz shot distribution last night was great. 37% of their shots at the rim, which is about league average now, actually. So you'd like to be a little higher. 37% of their shots is threes. But if you can go 
In other words, 25% of your shots are mid-range shots. That's pretty good. The Jazz last night, when you just talk about, you know, we, we on the show a lot, I, I, I really just fundamentally believe anytime you can get the edge by taking the right shots, it matters. So last night, the Jazz take 26% of their shots as mid-range shots. Orlando takes 42% of their shots as mid-range shots. That's, if you're going to make a comeback, you're cutting off the paint, making them shoot outside shots when it starts to go wrong. That's what matters. For all the talk of three-point this, three-point that, the, the game is truly about getting to the rim. It's where Rudy has amazing value. Uh, I thought, uh, just to back that up, the shot distribution on last night's game, uh, and we go to QSQ, which is uh, the effective field goal percentage if average players are making a Jazz, we're at 52.8. Orlando is at 49.6. And then Orlando was minus two on what they actually did. It's the Jazz defense clamped down and the Jazz were plus 3.1. So the Jazz had a good shooting night uh, by the end. I thought some of the guys deserved a lot of credit last night. I mean, I really thought it was an incredible group effort. Um, Joe's really struggling with his shot. And I've, his corner three, is money is above the break three. It's just not anywhere close. And I thought he just gained through it. He had four turnovers. He had a larger burden. He played 35 minutes. Thought he was terrific. Jay Crowder last night did something I think is really cool, which is he impacts the game beyond just taking threes. So he's 0 for 4 from 3 last night, but he was plus 20. Um, And I thought just play, he took a charge. I'd have to find out when that was, but he takes a charge early in this game that I thought actually had an impact on the Jazz um, in the sense that I thought it it said, okay, somebody has shown up and is willing to start doing the dirty things. And that, I felt, like, I don't think it had, I think if we look back at it when it took place, I think what you'll, there's nothing, you'll find nothing there. Because um, I think it was early in the first quarter, I think we went back down 21 again. But the... I thought I think the message it was the beginning of the message of the Jazz were down thirty six nineteen with nine fifty one left and Crowder took a charge from Evan Fournier and eventually the Jazz you know the Magic would still continue the run to go to forty two twenty one so it didn't happen immediately but like I remember seeing that play and thinking to myself like all right there's a there's a minor chance that 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 that's going to spark the Jazz a little bit and I think in fact um, it did. Uh, starting lineup was minus five in the first quarter. Again, they were plus five in the second, so they were even last night. But once again, the offensive rating last night below one point of possession. So the offensive rating with the starting lineup on the floor over the last period of time, 99 against Orlando, 88 against Milwaukee, 61 against Detroit. Now, starting lineup last night's Neto instead of Rubio. 101 against Cleveland, 72 against Toronto. Good against the Knicks, 116. 74 against the 76ers, 97 against Portland. Good against the Thunder, 120. 99 against Portland, 82 against Golden State, 99 against Orlando last time. So over about the last month, with the starting lineup on the floor, the Jazz have had two games where the offense was above average and good, and I think three games in which it was more than dreadful. Like, hundreds bad. 
Hundreds where the number that I set where if our defense sets goes and gets under 100, we win. <clears throat> the, we've gotten so used to these defensive performances by the Jazz. They are incredible. The league average offense right now is like 108. To be holding someone to under a point of possession when the league average is just amazing. And the Jazz defense has now done this. They did it for seven straight games. Eight of nine. Nine of 11. Ten of 14, I think. That's incredible. It's why if you go to December 1st or since the Corver trade, the Jazz efficiency differential is top five in the NBA. There's a lot of numbers saying we're just fine, people. Just fine. And thank goodness they came back to win last night because that is not a loss you could afford. Uh, what else from last night's game is worth pointing out? I don't want to miss. I thought Quinn was great last night. I mean, he's just trying all first half to find something that might work. And I was very impressed that he just kind of kept fiddling, fiddling, fiddling. And the other one I give Quinn credit for, boy, the amount of times I would just yank lineups or not come back with things or make changes. And he calmly views the long term and does it. I'm I'm just, I'm stunned by how well he holds that together. Um, it, it's It's truly remarkable to me that he's able to do that. Today's show was brought to you by Intercap Lending. Worth noting, by the way, for the first time in a long time, we have some inventory available. So if you'd like to jump on and have your company right here on Locked on Jazz, email me at dlock09 at gmail.com. Before we get to Joe Ingles' comments, I do want to make sure on one thing. Was I want to make sure it's really clear how great Donovan was last night. I mean, Donovan was... If we're going to win games right now, without Ricky Rubio and without Dante Exum and without Tabo. But really, with when you're missing 48 minutes of one position, it's, it's an incredibly difficult thing. If we're going to win games right now, Rudy and Donovan have to be superhuman. They, they have to be what Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic has been in Denver, which has been just incredible. And so they, they've got to be that level. Donovan went 5-7 of seven at the rim last night. He committed two turnovers. He had the ball in his hands a tremendous amount. It's going to be interesting to see whether or not him playing with the ball in his hands gives him a little bounce. Uh, he, I think, assisted on seven, had seven assists last night, two of them at the rim. I think four of them for threes. Like he was, he was really, really great last night. Uh, officially, Donovan seven assists accounted for thir- eighteen points. So I'm right on that. It's pretty great. It's interesting that James Harden does this so much, and Giannis now does it so much. I I don't think we're moved by it. the ability to drive and find the three-point shooter, that's a pretty unique skill. 
Like certain guys have it, certain guys don't. There are guys who get seven assists for 14 points. And then Donovan got seven points for 18 points. That's a, diff- that's a skill he has. This stretch is going to be interesting where Donovan has the ball in his hands. And he's able to make plays. But it was clear how much we missed Dante and Joe last night. That, that was clear. I mean, Dante and, and Ricky last night. All right, Joe Ingles said after the game, they're booing, huh? They can go boo at home if they want to boo. I hate it when they boo. We knew we weren't playing well. It's not rocket science. We want to win every game, too. We want the fans to cheer us every night, have a good time, eat some popcorn, go on their little date night. We want for them to enjoy it, too. But we're not going to win 82 games. We're not going to play great every night. We're going to play bad at times. We didn't start well. We had a different lineup. We had a different team. A bit more cheering and support that might have helped instead of booing us. It's tough. Obviously, we have great fans. We want to play well for them, but we're not going to win every game, and we are trying to win. So let me address this. The first comment that everyone makes, the fans have the right to boo. That is accurate. I also think that's a ridiculous comment because there are a million things I have the right to do that I wouldn't do. So yours, no question. And I also think the other one that I think is really weird is I bought a ticket, therefore. Okay, great. So like if you spend money, I, I call this the country club syndrome. Like the minute you join a country club and join the country club, somehow you, it's now you have the right or the fancy restaurant syndrome. If, or the fancy hotel syndrome. It's the, it's, the, it's the fancy people syndrome. I buy something, spend a bunch of money, I now can become a total a-hole? That doesn't really work for me. You have the right. You can justify it. But it doesn't excuse your behavior. So I belong to a country club. I spend a bunch of money to be a part of it and somebody doesn't shine my shoes correctly, so now I belittle them. But if I'm at Glendale playing golf, I don't do that doesn't work for me so I've never really been one who buys into the right theory of things okay um there is a weird disconnect to me and I hey I spend a ton of time with these guys I'm with our coaches all the time I know how hard they work I am in the bag for these guys okay I live the life with them. I see them all the time. <clears throat> I have an incredible amount of respect for what they're doing, particularly for the coaches and the players, and I'm totally in the bag for them. Here's what I've never understood about the phenomena of booing your own team. The greatest part of being a fan is feeling like you're a part of something, that you're connected to something, that you have an identity with something, that you wear your city uniform, your jazz purple, whatever it is that you wear. The the Milwaukee Bucks fans by far wear the most gear of any team I've seen in the league. They're connected right now. And you, you wear, why do you wear your jersey? To show respect and to be a part of the team. Right? That's really why you wear the jersey. This is your little way of being a part of the team. And when they were struggling last night, 
Tabo Cephalosha, who's injured and he's a part of the team, is standing up and he's clapping the guys on and rooting for them, try to get, let's go, come on, let's get it going, let's get it going. We're not playing well, let's go. Why wouldn't we as fans do the same thing? Like, we think we're a part of it in our town. Particularly, we think we're a part of it because we have such an amazing home court advantage and we have such an amazing connection and we have this remarkable community feel. And when the Jazz beat the Thunder, we really feel like we were a part of it. So why wouldn't we act like Tabo Cephalosha? Why wouldn't we cheer them on when they're not playing well? Give them encouragement rather than basically walking up to your teammate and saying, you suck. That's what Joe heard. You suck. It's also what these guys are getting. I was talking to Jay Crowder and Donovan Mitchell about this the other day. Every day on Twitter. It's why I lost it in the opening segment of the show today in a manner that I shouldn't have because I'm human. And if you read my timeline, it's incessant that I'm a jerk. That's how I'm taking it. That I'm lying to fans. And that the schedule is some piss-ass excuse that isn't really real and the team just sucks. And it's inexcusable to be this mediocre and to suck. And I take that very personally because you're telling me that guys I care about a great deal on our coaching staff and our players suck. And I take it personally, and a few times it gets right at me, and it is personal. That's the reality of the social networking world we live in. It's unhealthy. I need to be better than I was in the first segment. But that's why I tweeted out on top of Andy Larson's tweet about Joe, that's about more than tonight. These guys are incessantly buried at the end of games every night about how much they suck and they're the greatest in the world and they're being told this from people who are wearing their jerseys. It's really jacked up and it impacts them. As I said last year, I thought the players, an official thing was actually that the players were just angry all the time because they're told. But go take a night and go read at Joe Ingles or at Donovan Mitchell or at Jay Crowder or at Rudy Gobert, and see what it says. It's incredible. What's so funny about it is for most of these fans who are booing, if a Thunder fan walks up, or tweeting at people, if a Thunder fan walks up to him and says, your team sucks, you are going to bow your back, you are going to hunch up your chest, and you are going to be like, no, they don't. It's been a tough schedule. Yet somehow, when you want to vent your frustration, you have the right to do it because you bought a ticket. No, you don't. Well, well, no, wait wait a sec. Yes, you do. It doesn't make it the right behavior, though. You have the right to belittle the shoeshine guy, too. If you're paying $2,000 a month in monthly dues, you're just a jerk. You have the right to expect better service at Valters than at Alberto's. Does it mean you have the right to belittle the maitre d'? I don't think so. 
So what Joe heard last night, what the booze said to Joe was, you suck. That's don't, There's no other f- phrase for it. That's what was said. The hometown fans who are wearing his jersey, who are there to support him, would be no differently than if he walked off the bench and Tabo Cephalosha looked him in the face and said, you suck. And Joe's struggling. And he knows it. And he's probably playing hurt, and he's battling, and he's giving his everything because he never misses a game because he's an unbelievable trooper. And a bunch of fans looked him in the eye last night and said, you suck. And it bothered him because he cares. So I back him 100% on that comment. I'm turning off my mentions. I'll be better than I was today. I need to back up what I tell my kids. I need to back up what I talk to the players about. I need to do it myself. I'll be better than I was in the first segment today. Have a great day. That is Locked on Jazz.